Los mejores viajes nacen en la carretera. Pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500. Hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. Los mejores viajes nacen en la carretera. Pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. The true emotion, and it's seconded, and there's a debate thereafter. Um, the next step is a voice, you know, vote. Um, that that's it, you know. But if it is a, a majority decision, uh, obviously, after the, the 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 debate, it is expected that you know a vote will be taken by way of. Uh, Hi, Qatar Airways. Going places together. And you are live on Joy 99.7 FM. This is Ghana Connect. My name is Evans Mensah. Now, this week, controversy erupted when Achimota Senior High School denied enrollment to two Rastafarian students because they insisted on keeping their dreadlocks. This is the story so far. about the attempt to rope in Rastafarianism as a religion. If we do, then we complicate the matter for the young man. The reason is this. If you study Rastafarianism, it involves the smoking of weed. It includes the smoking of weed. And weed, weed is an illegal substance. We need to rethink our concept of discipline in our school. Getting people and students to appreciate diversity and the beauty of different backgrounds, beliefs and creeds does not undermine discipline by any stretch of imagination. Tolerance and accepting unique identities at that age cannot be inimical in any educational system.
And I believe Ghana isn't a nation where there's only one religion. We have multiple religions, even though some are much more significant. So I think there should be an analyzing moment where we can actually distinguish between harmless consideration and harmful considerations. Although negotiations are strained at the moment, we do hope the Ghana Education Service and Achimoto School will reconsider and admit Kweku and his colleague, who is also Rastafarian by religion. Wake up and look at my doorway early this morning. And when I look out, it was the census taker standing. I say, brother, man, look out, you know, see me vote for me dreadlocks already. When I vote for you, then tell me who vote for me, baby. Mr. Speaker, I can assure you that Ghana Education Service, within the shortest possible time, is going to lay out specific guidelines for head of schools as to how we proceed in this environment. Mr. Speaker, I can tell you that meetings have been had, others are ongoing. So meetings have been had, the education minister says, and others are ongoing. To do what exactly? To craft a policy on the back of what we saw this week. This eruption of a controversy surrounding really is about diversity in our schools. Yes, it's about the rejection of two Rastafarian students. But really, if you look at it closely, it's far bigger than that. And they are segments of the Ghanaian population who have been suffering versions of this for years, for decades uh, without this much attention. And so tonight we're bringing all the voices together to interrogate this, especially when we've heard from the education minister telling us that we should expect a policy directive on this very important subject. This is the time to get your voices heard before the policy is finalized. And then we say, but I mean, this policy is not progressive enough. And that's why we're having tonight's conversation. Wherever you are tonight, this is how you can get in touch. Join us now on Twitter, hashtag Ghana Connect Live. Facebook, join 99.7 FM. Or send us a WhatsApp on 0244-340-437 and we will call you back. Join the nation's biggest conversation now and connect to authority. Listen, I'm excited about the connectors we have uh, joining us uh, all over uh, tonight. Uh, in the studio is Eugenia Tichimensing, is educator and youth rights activist. Hello, Eugenia. Thank you very much for connecting with us here on Joy 99.7 FM. You're no stranger to us, so I'm happy to, I'm happy to have you join us. It's good to see you. Good to there. see you too, Eugenia. Uh, also connecting tonight is Luanga. He's a PhD student, Institute of African Studies, UG. Hello, Luanga. Hello, sir. Great to have you. Great to have um, you. I, I like your dreadlocks, by mm-hmm. the way. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, is this the the proper original dreadlocks that you know you get from the you know childhood? No, I started growing this um, about two years ago. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm gonna I'm interested in finding out you know whether this is religious based because we've heard about the Rastafarian religion and how or this is a personal decision to grow it and and what sort of discrimination you may have suffered just because you're wearing a hair because this is a bigger conversation about diversity in Ghanaian sure. society generally. Uh, you've been through school two years ago. You were you in the University of Ghana, right? Uh, did it affect your admission? 
Um, no. They didn't. Okay, so <laughs> that's the question there about if it's okay to go to university with dreadlocks, why isn't it okay to go to the SHS with dreadlocks? We'll get into that shortly. Now, I'm also excited to be joined uh, tonight, um, <clears throat> you know, by... Nana Kofiakwa, who is a blogger and photographer, um, he's been writing a lot about this, saying a lot about this. Also, uh, he's joining us via Zoom uh, tonight. Lufata is Song Bewira, is Muslim student, University of Ghana. Lufata, thank you very much for connecting with us. Thank you. Nice for to have you. Me. I mean, and I like your what do you call it, hijab? Yes. Oh, my great. Hijab. Okay, I like that identity. There's a hijab, there's a spectacle, and there's a face mask. <laughs> Um, you should just watch her on uh, on our on our social media pages on this. Um, and she's joining us because she also have a peculiar story to tell, uh, because that is her identity. Also, um, you think this is just about Rastafarianism? It's not. It's bigger than that. Uh, we'll hear her story shortly. Kwame Uwusu-Odiomi uh, will join us. He is he, he is a general secretary of the of the uh, the heads of assisted secondary schools, and they are the heads who superintend over the senior high schools. I want to hear the perspective of a school administrator in this conversation because um, I want to see what they're thinking. Do they have a policy that guides them or every school is allowed to do what its all internal rules say? Is there any uniformity? And what do they make of this impending or forthcoming directive that we're expecting from the GES? Etel Elikan Mensah believes the school has every right to enforce its rules and will also join us, I believe, via Zoom. Uh, it's on Zoom currently. We'll join us shortly. Uh, Bran Asali, uh, radio and TV host with KTN News in Kenya, will also join us. We're connecting to Kenya tonight for obvious reasons. And he's joining us already because Kenya went through the same process, the same debate, vigorously. And from what I understand, Kenya's Supreme Court had to step in and make a pronouncement on the matter. Um, hello, Brian. Hello, I, I, I hope you can hear me. I can hear you loud and clear. And thank you very much for connecting all the way from Kenya. Uh, exciting to nice, hear thank you. Thank you so much. Great. I mean, I, I can't wait to hear the Kenyan example uh, on this. And so, yes, um, we d- join us wherever you are. You've heard how to join us. Join me, 055 is a WhatsApp line. But, uh, Eugene, I want to start with you. Um, when you first had this debate, and let me tell you the story about how I contacted Eugenia. I posted, <laughs> I posted the um, PM Express on Tuesday where we hosted all manner of voices on the subject. And everybody else said, why don't you speak to Eugenia? Because this subject is far bigger than just the Rastafarian students. I mean, but Eugenia, why did people think that it's far bigger than that? I don't think people think it's far bigger. They know it is far bigger. Um, I think that discrimination um, has manifested in various forms in our country, and it's normally unleashed on young people and the vulnerable, basically young people and women. Um, We don't want to call it by its name, uh, but it is discrimination. In certain cases, it is prejudice. In certain cases, it is the love for control that that manifests in some of these um, situations that we find ourselves. And I think that the uh, Tyron, I, I, want us, I want us to remember him by his name. So I think Tyron's, Tyron's situation just showed, I think it opened up all these probably undercurrents or underfeelings that we've harbored for a very long time. You know, I'm, I'm one who... Um, I, I, you know, I'm all for young people. I work with young people, and so I hear, I hear their frustrations, and I and I think that it, it's it's we find ourselves. When I say we, I'm talking both as 
women and children, we do find ourselves in a society where we must be, you know, society feels we must be policed at every turn of our lives, especially for young people. And then for women, it's similar. Okay. We're policed from the day we're born till the day we die. Women are policed. If you think about the fact that girls are born and then there's uh, female genital mutilation, till women till they become old women and are and are banished to uh, 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 what is it called again a, uh, a camp the camp, yeah. witches. Women are always being policed, um, and I think that Tyrone's case really just opened up an avenue where all of us just thought, let's let it out. But I think that if we want to look at just whilst we're looking at it gen- uh, as a as a general issue, you know, about, and I say it's really more about oppression that we we don't want to call it what it is. What has someone's attire got to do with what they're going to learn in an, in an, in an educational institution? For, for example, I was in an educational institution where we did the O and A levels. Mm-hmm. Um, girls under, uh, girls who were in, in the f- first to form, uh, form one to form five could not were not allowed to grow their hair. What was the reason? They said they'll get distracted from their studies. Okay. But girls who were in sixth form, who had only 18 months to finish up and go to uh, the university, were allowed to keep their hair. Isn't that more distracting? Aren't they moving on to a higher level in life? And so they rather should be the ones Hmm. whose hair shouldn't be kept, if that's the argument you're using. And I think the point we're just asking is, should we not, is it not time we re-looked at these policies? These policies have nothing to do with, uh, uh, um, when we're talking students, it has nothing to do with ac- academic performance. So, so, you, so, so, so the, the girl child goes to school, can't keep the hair. Yes. And it, that's, that's a, that, that, I mean, it's so standard that nobody even questions this anymore. Yes. But, but, but again, let me tell you what it is. When you say nobody questions it, this is where I, I don't agree with you. Mm. Nobody is talking to the girls. The girls don't like it. Mm. I, I travel abroad with many girls to go and run programs. And there have been several times they've been labeled as boys. They've been mistaken for boys. Do you know what that does to a teenage girl? Why? What is the point of asking our girls to keep their hair scalp low, even if it is five inches off the hair, head? What is the point? I think that's all we're asking. It may have served its purpose back then, but the same way we hope that our curriculum is reviewed vigorously and frequently, can't we do the same for our policies? How does it serve the interest of the child? And I think, again, we're a society who does not put into consideration the social implications of any policy that we, we, we um, roll out, especially when it has to do with women and children. We just get up and we throw it there as law. You ask a Muslim woman to take off her hijab, or let me say a Muslim girl, to take off her hijab before she enters a school building. You are, you are practically asking her to strip naked in their religion. That's what it means. I mean, in fact, at this point, I want to bring in Lufata on this, because Lufata, you, have you, you've, you went to SHS, correct? Yes. Have you always had your hijab on? No. So the whole problem started from when I was taken to school from the beginning. I schooled in um, a Muslim mission school. But even in that school, it wasn't really compulsory that we would have our hijabs on. 
But then P1 to P6, our curriculum, our timetables, everything was tailored to suit the religion and the times where we have to pray um, whenever it's time to pray. But it wasn't really compulsory that we wear the hijab. And we had a lot of Christians in my school as well. Although, you see, it's an Islamic school. It's an Islamic school, yeah. Mm -hmm. We had a lot of Christians in my school and they weren't, you know, forced to do what we did. So anytime it was time for prayers, they would sit in class and then after five minutes, we would go back and join them in class. And it was something that they understood. And our teachers, who weren't even Muslims, would compel the Muslim students to go and pray. So I feel it was because it was a Muslim school, they gave us the freedom to practice our religion to its fullest. But then my dad was transferred to Kumasi, so I came to Kumasi, and then that was where I got a reality check. Mm -hmm. In Kumasi, I went to a private school, and the school was owned by um, a Seventh-day Adventist proprietor. He owned the school. And so every Wednesday, we have to go for devotion. We used to call it worship then. It was compulsory for everyone. Although you were not... You're, yeah. you're, although you're not a Muslim, you're no. not a Christian. Yeah, and I didn't have any say. And should I say in the district, that was one of the good schools that we had. So my dad had no option but to take me there. So anytime it was time for prayers, of course, you would not get anywhere to pray because the, like, the teacher is in class teaching. And you don't even have a lot of Muslims in the class to side with you or feel what you are feeling or understand what you're going through. So you just go home and be like, oh, I have to pray because in school we didn't get the chance to, to do so. So that was it there. And even during assemblies, I didn't understand why we were forced to recite the Lord's Prayer when it was assembly. And so we just have to observe protocol and not necessarily bring in religious, you know, things in there and, and force us to recite it even when we didn't believe in it or we didn't understand why we had to recite. So at assembly, you have to say the last prayer. Yes, and, uh, did, did, did they know that you're a Muslim? They don't. I don't even, they don't even they care. care. Okay. Yeah, I think that's the thing. I mean, it just. So I went to SS as well, and it continued. So you are not allowed to keep your hair. So obviously, you will not be allowed to have a hijab on. My school was okay, but we didn't. Just, we didn't get the freedom. They they tolerated us to some point. During fasting, they would allow us to fast, but we would have to keep the food that was prepared in the morning and in the afternoon for evening and share it amongst ourselves because no food has to go to waste. And that was what we were eating, even though it wasn't conducive enough for our health. People were not allowed to bring food from outside to students, maybe porridge or fruit, it wasn't allowed. So what, what they ate in the morning is what we would eat in the evening. Did you even have the courage to no, attempt we to didn't. wear your, your hijab, I mean? No, you... The system was just in such in such a way that you you just can't. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 let me bring you in, um, Luanga. So you different, right? Two years ago is when you started to wear your dreadlocks. Right. So you you were in University of Ghana, of course. You're a PhD student, so this is pretty advanced, right? Right. Did anything change for you when you decided to go dread? Um, but thank you. Before I answer this question, I'd like to digress just a Please little do. bit. So, um, based on what my two, my mom and my sister were talking about, um, I think just listening to you, that the real problem actually lies in the fact that we do not usually induce, incubate, and inspire the trajectory of our development as a people. So, what we're talking about right now, many a black person suffers the same thing in different places 
at different times, but then it's always the same problem that we do not um, inspire ourselves to do according to our own terms what we want to do for ourselves. And so it is either the Christians are against the Muslims, you know, because there's an institution that is, you know, basically founded on the principle of Christianity. And so a Muslim person who is also a Ghanaian would find it difficult to penetrate and then access some of these places and the other way around. Or otherwise, even the SDS against the Catholics, the Catholics against the Presbyterians and all these kinds of things. But where do we, do we get all these ideas from? That's a question we should be asking ourselves. What, what do you say? Where do you get it from? Where do we get Pardon? it from? What's your answer to that question? Well, it is very obvious that um, these are very alien ideas. And I just want to uh, stick as closely as possible to the topic, you know, a discussion, which is about the Rastas who wanted to go into Achimota School. And I'll give a very short anecdote to that. Um, I don't know if you know of um, Aikwe Ama. He's an esteemed novelist, Ghanaian novelist, who's yeah. currently residing in Senegal. He, so he has this book that's titled The Eloquence of the Scribes. And this book basically has you know the flair of being a memoir and it goes into you know his life even though he suggests other things and there's a certain point in this book where he goes into you know his his time as a student at Achimota so he actually attended Achimota school mm. and this answers the question where are these ideas coming from so this was in the high point or late colonial period when the white people were just about to slowly transition uh, and, and give power to you know uh, their black cronies or whatever the case may be. And so um, Aikwe Ama was lamenting, you know, the fact that these institutions, which are supposed to be educating black people, are rather basically miseducating black people. So their primary goal of the colonial educational system was to um, vomit colonial or Eurasian cultural precepts onto the black person said that a black person gets lost in the vomit and is unable to understand and find their own vision to chart their own path according to their own terms. And that is, that is, that is even an earliest example of how some of these things happen. We can go as far back as several thousands of years to give examples. In other but words, just centuries on, nothing, nothing really has changed as much. Pardon me? Centuries on, nothing really has changed as much as this exactly. instant case e Exactly, shows. and that is part of the... Uh, issue that we're discussing right now. So we like to, um, how do you call it? We like to access and fight for very simple and minute, you know, um, gains. So rather than organizing, we are mobilizing. So we speak about this issue and then the Rasta boys are allowed to go to Achimota. But the next day, another issue is going to pop up. Yeah, um, instead of dealing with it at the root, at this root cause. Exactly. So what are we really doing? That's the question that we have to ask. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's what I'm going to come to shortly because the, the education minister seem to have a solution, which is let's define a general policy. Okay, let's define a general policy that will guide every school in terms of admission, etc., so that it cuts across. And, 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 and for me, it's a big deal because he says in that sound that I played that they're already consulting. I've already consulted people. And I'm like, okay, so who, has a big, who, has a, who are they exactly consulting? But this matter came up this week, you know. I'll, I'll come to that question shortly. But let me bring in other connectors who are joining us uh, via Zoom. Nanako uh, Fiakwa, um, you... Um, have listened to the conversation. We have a you know variety of you know voices in the studio who have expressed various views on this. Where do you stand on this question? I think that uh, we need to understand that uh, we, we as a people, uh, were colonized. 
You know, so if you're Ghanaian and you speak English, you are colonized. Uh, in fact, just calling yourself Ghanaian uh, means that you are colonized. And what colonialism did to us, for colonialism to really take effect, they had to trivialize our original identity, our original sense of self-worth. They had to tell us everything we had was not good enough, who we were was not good enough. And if you look at the history, the first time black hair became problematic was with the transatlantic Atlantic slave trade. So the reason why, uh, be, traditionally before that, when you saw somebody with dreadlocks or what they loved to call nappy hair, when you saw somebody with it, it meant that the person belonged to either priesthood or royalty in Africa. So the dreadlocks, in fact, the word dread and dreadlocks began with, you know, when they caught the slaves and put them on the ships, it took months before they arrived in Europe, before they arrived in the islands, in the Caribbean islands, and in the Americas. So after months of being locked up in ships, your hair grows and there is no way to tend to it. So when they got out of the, out of the ships, they had this hair, this mangled locked hair and it became a symbol of rebellion against slavery transatlantic slavery and colonialism so it was white people who dreaded it and unfortunately as a way to subjugate us as a way to know that this one is not one of the rebellious slaves you were forced to cut that hair so they dreaded it and then the name then becomes what dreadlocks, dreadlocks. I see. Fantastic. So when you become the head teacher of a school like Achimota, and the school was originally built by the British and run by the British, and and then you inherit that legacy, and you don't do your homework, what's going to happen is that you wear a wig on your head, you wear a wig, whether it's Peruvian, Brazilian, uh, Puerto Rican hair, or, or, or horse hair, I don't care. But you would wear that wig on your head and proudly, as a black person, have the audacity to look at another black person in the face and tell them that their hair is not good enough. But you have a wig on your head. You know, you are not confident in your natural hair. And in fact, so the question becomes, if you have such a person to educate your children, by the time your children have gone through the hands of this person, what self-confidence is going to remain. What sense of self-worth as a black child is going to remain? Because the person who is supposed to educate your child hates their own body. They hate what is natural to them. They hate their local language, so they would have no vernacular in school. Mm -hmm. They hate their own culture, so they will tell you that become Christian, become this, and they will enforce those rules vigorously. So by the time the child comes up, the child hates who they are. So we get caught in this trap of assimilation. This is the same reason why if, an, if, a, if a Ghanaian man who speaks, who speaks poor English approaches a young, educated Ghanaian woman and he says hello and, and, and his English is bad, she will snub him. But if a German man approaches her and he speaks bad English, she'll say, oh, he's a German. That's why his English is bad. She won't say, oh, he's a fancy man, that's why his English is bad. She won't say, oh, he's, 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 a, he's a crobo man, that's why his, his English is bad. 
but she would excuse a white person who speaks bad English. But the black man who is not colonized enough is not good enough for her. It is important to understand these things. So even the law we inherited, the laws we inherited in this country, we have to ask ourselves, what were in the intentions of these laws? Why were these laws made our laws? What purpose were they supposed to, were they supposed to achieve? And if you look at everything, if you look at a country that is 60-something years old, we produce cocoa, and somebody else tells us the worth of our cocoa. We mine gold, somebody else tells us the, the worth of our gold. We, we, we mine bauxite and diamonds and manganese, and everything we produce, somebody else has the audacity to tell us to tell us how much they are willing to pay for it. We see the Chinese come and blatantly pollute our waters, corrupt our leaders, and, and basically rape the continent. And we have to ask ourselves, why are we not able to assert ourselves? Why are we so timid? Why would white children go to our schools and keep their long hair, but our children are required to cut their hair? Yeah, I mean, so that, that, that's, a, that's a fundamental question that has been asked this week. I want to bring in Ebo Daniel, who um, has a slightly different view from what I've heard so far. Stay with me, uh, gentlemen and ladies. Um, Ebo, so do you, ha, have you heard the, the arguments you've listened to so far? Does it convince you that the decision taken by the school this week and others that we've heard of going on across the country, it's, it's inimical to the child's fundamental right to education? Well, Evans, uh, I, like you stated earlier on, I have a slightly different view. Uh, much as uh, the children have rights and uh, they are to enjoy these rights, the schools have regulations as well. And so there are the general rules and then there are peculiar laws or rules that uh, pertain to individual institutions. And so I believe the, the rules are exist to be enforced. And these are rules that have been followed for decades. And so when you are going to the school, then you know that you are supposed to conform to the rules that exist. Otherwise, uh, one will make the argument also that uh, you have freedom of movement, yet schools can decide to restrict uh, the level of movement that a, uh, a student enjoys uh, at that level. And so it's not a question of it's my right. It's a matter of uh, what the school's uh, rules are, which they lay out to you that these are rules. If you want to join our institutions, then you may have to conform to those rules. And so uh, I don't see the argument for the fact that it's uh, my right in the Constitution. And then again, I think the approach to this whole uh, issue uh, went wrong in the sense that you don't go on the offensive against the schools when it's not uh, their fault, uh, when it's not their fault that uh, you, you, you do not meet their criteria. I think it would, it would have been more prudent to engage them uh, rather than start the whole argument of you should allow me by all means because it is my law. Just like uh, you have homo war festivals like homo war where uh, at some point in time, there's a ban on noise making and even movement, which a lot of people would argue that it, it's their right to do so. This same thing may apply in this sense that, much as it is your right, at certain uh, jurisdictions, those rights may have to be curtailed. Even in prisons, uh, you, you don't get to demand for rights uh, for freedom to do whatever you like. Yeah, at some interesting point, perspectives. About, stay with me, uh, Eugenia. That's a view I'm sure you've heard. Uh, what what do you say? What do you say if you you have an interaction with him? But what do you say to him? Because he doesn't he have a point there that um, there must be order in the schools. But of course, there must be order. There's no question about it. Um, you need order in well, 
yes you do need order in order to be able to run um i believe uh, an organization an institution and a country however we're in the same in in the same country hmm? maybe what 12 15 years ago the rule was that if you were a girl and you got pregnant you were not allowed to write exams that has changed has it not it has changed yeah that's the point i'm making that when that rule was made, I'm sure I had a point, and not that I will ever agree under any circumstance that whatever the reason was for that kind of policy made sense, that a girl gets pregnant in school and she, first of all, she's the only one who's asked not to write the exam. She didn't get pregnant by herself. Second of all, she's denied education because she got pregnant. So the point I'm making is that, yes, schools make rules, schools make regulations, but what stops us from asking, from probing questions? What is the point of asking someone not to, say, wear a short skirt to school, for example? What is the point? Can, if we can answer these questions along the lines of logic, how does it affect education? If I keep my hair, as you, as you rightly mentioned, so I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I, I like your last name, so mm -hmm. I want to call you by that. He's in a tertiary institution and he has his hair on. So, w what's the difference between that and keeping your hair in a secondary school? Because there isn't the argument that he is now an adult. So, he so, can okay. make the decisions for himself. So let's, let's follow that tangent. Yeah. So, we are saying that children cannot keep their hair. Because, well, because they're children. Yeah, cho so, well, children don't matter. Then let's stop having children. My biggest problem in our society is that we don't make room for young people. We only hear of young people when they become adults. We don't have spaces for young people. We don't give them spaces to talk. I like the question you were asking. This policy uh, or framework that the, the Minister, Minister of Education has sp spoken about, who is going to ask any young person to be part of that meeting? Hmm. Not the Ghanaian. Because for us, children have no space where adults are. And we must change it. Okay. Because, uh, please sure, let me sure, land sure, on sure. this point that I've always made. Hmm. That because, Frank, um, uh, Evans, Evans, we are going to, we all live in this country together. The children we are disrespecting and denying rights of will grow to become adults. And we will become senior citizens who cannot take care of ourselves. And when it is payback time, and it will be payback time, we are doing too much harm to young people in this country. They, are, they need outlets. They need avenues to be able to express themselves. And we keep ramming it down their throats and keep controlling them and waiting until they get to university. And then when it begins to blow up in our faces, we're the ones who are now complaining, with all due respect to you two, that our young people cannot string sentences together. They can't write. They, 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 you can't get them to do anything in the office. Well, whose fault is it? Your educational system... It seems stifling as it is. Debating programs have been taken out. Um, uh, cooking programs. There's, there's no extracurricular in our ed educational space anymore. Yeah. Reading is also gone from primary school. Reading time is gone. What are we producing? We yeah. are producing what we want to produce. Let we need... I'm sorry. Let, 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 let me bring in a bow on this. So that's the argument. I mean, there must be a reason. So what's the reason? What's the argument? I don't know if you... You you were in school, correct? I mean, and and so what? Why can't you have a child with the hair on? Why can't you have a child with, with um, with as we've heard from Lufata, for example, with uh, with a hijab on in a school? 
Yeah, well, uh, that, that may be uh, for the schools to uh, explain um, Evans, but regardless of whether or not uh, there is a valid reason uh, for that, I believe that uh, schools are regulated uh, by laws. And as it stands now, uh, the GS I have a general policy as to uh, cutting your hair or doing otherwise. And so it has been the general uh, norm for schools in Ghana that you cut your hair at least at some stage so that what well, usually the argument has been that if you have a certain form of hair then it may distract other people in class and uh, whatnot i may not want to wade into that particular argument but until the laws change or the, until there are policies as to uh, what to do and what not to do in instances such as this as to uh, ges standardizing all of these then no one can fault Achimota school for saying that you gave me the leeway to set rules for my institution these are what apply in my institution and so uh, you may want to conform if you want to attend that particular institution i mean there are other institutions that have accepted these students and that is for them uh, for them it's okay to have students with long hair in their schools. Uh, that's for them but for oh, institutions like Achimota who believe uh, per their rules, you are not supposed to have long hair. I think we should allow them until they. You, you, you briefly. I, I, what I wanted to say was so because he, he's using Achimoto School example. I want to follow that tangent. Mm. So Achimoto School, you're saying Achimoto School says they don't allow students to keep long hair. So what about the Caucasian students who are keeping long hair? Okay. What about them? They are and and then the response is that they were exchange students. That makes it better. As in because they are foreign students and exchange students, even if they are spending one day, do we believe that if the rules are turned, they will make exceptions for us? Let I think I'm we really need to snap out of this, uh, you know, mental slavery. We yeah, really I mean, and, and then I could feel a couple of laid it out nicely. Look, Fata, there's a question that um, Ebo asked and that has been asked this week. So when you were in, those, in the school and you felt, let me put it this way, discriminated against, correct? But you couldn't say because your father had taken you there because you believe it's a good school. When people say, okay, but if, it, if that's the school's rules, why didn't you find a, a, another school that suited you? Right. I that's the argument I've heard this week, that if you don't like it, go elsewhere. I think it would be unfair to say that because the, you don't want to conform to the school's rules, then take your daughter somewhere else. I don't think that argument should be made. For instance, in public schools, mm -hmm. these schools are funded by government. Mm -hmm. These schools, we have teachers that are being deployed from mm -hmm. our training um, colleges to these schools to go and teach the students. Mm -hmm. The Constitution says, give these individuals the right to express whatever religion they belong to, to have the freedom to do whatever they want to do. Who is then saying that, oh, because you are Muslim, you don't have to put on your hijab in my school? Who, who should stop me from doing that. I feel like the country has given SHS schools enough autonomy to do what they want to do. And someone would say it's because most of these schools were funded by the missions. That's why um, probably government is being lenient on their codes and, and, and their rules and regulations. But I think it's unfair because for some time now, government has been funding these schools. For some time now, if they don't have teachers, the government gives them teachers. The government pays them out of taxpayers' money. And all of us are a part of the system. Yeah. For, when Ebo was speaking, all I wanted to say is, if roles were turned, would he be saying the same thing he's saying? It's okay for him to think, oh, if you go to Rome, do what the Romans do. But if he was in Saudi Arabia and mm -hmm. it was compulsory that he would pray five times daily, 
learn how to read Arabic, enter the mosque, whether he liked it or not, mm. would he still say the same thing that he's saying? Well, so powerful, powerful I, I analogy. I mean, I want to. I want to quick. I'll come back to you uh, shortly, Luanga. But I want to go to Kenya uh, shortly, very briefly, and come back. Uh, Brian, hello, Brian. Hi, how uh, are you? Brian, great. So, Brian, tell me, Kenya had the same conversation, uh, debate, right? Yes, true. Uh, and and how did you resolve it? Uh, let me tell you, uh, Kenya is, first of all, a very open-minded nation. Uh, we grew up with Muslim brothers, no, sisters. We have our own uh, other belief um, or, or a religious group called Akorino. Now, Akorinos are pretty much like how the Rastafarians decide that they're going to tie turbans in their head, okay? Now, the most interesting thing about religion in Kenya is we grow up as friends and we respect whatever you believe in. But we've never actually explored Rastafarianism, okay? And uh, we have different societies in Kenya, like the Rastafarian Society of Kenya, which is basically a registered group in Kenya and where people practice their, uh, their, their religious beliefs and they, they have a whole belief system. Uh, one thing I love about Rastafarianism is it's a form of identity, okay? And this form of identity allows you to express yourself. And I believe when you are trying, uh, when you're working on your spirituality, then there is a belief system. There are things that you do. There are customs that you follow. And that's exactly why uh, the story of Makeda, Makeda, which is such a significant name among the, the Rastafarians, Makeda Ndinda was uh, also in, in the same state as the students in Achimota. She had finished her primary school education and she was being admitted to a new school for her high school studies. And uh, she so happens to come from Kibera, which is a slum, and the school is also in a slum in Olympics. So it became such a prominent story simply because a person was being denied, denied the right to study. And uh, in Kenya, if you, if you don't take your child to school, uh, you, you're required to pay a fine of up to 100,000 shillings. Uh, that is Kenyan shillings or $1,000. And uh, also another thing that you, a penalty that you can face is one year in jail for just not allowing your child to go to school. So Makeda's father, who I had a conversation with uh, in 2019, because this incident happened in 2019, I had a conversation with the father and he actually told me what Rastafarianism is. We published uh, lots of stories right here on, uh, on newspapers and standard media, and it captured the attention of so many people. Now, listen. Uh, the, the CS for education uh, at that time, the cabinet secretary of education at that time was CS Muhammad, uh, Amina Muhammad. And Amina Muhammad is a Muslim woman who understands everything uh, uh, about segregation and discrimination against uh, because of having a hijab or for just being a Muslim girl and having to dress differently. The conversation went up to the high court and the decision was uh, indicated that uh, Rastafarianism is a religion. And just as the Akorinos, uh, that uh, special group of, of um, people, are allowed to go to school with their with their turban, Makeda was given an opportunity to go back to class with her dreadlocks. Because she had a conversation with the deputy principal who was telling her, hey, Makeda, I need to talk to you. Now you have to choose the dreadlocks or you have to choose staying away from this school. So it's more of a soft kind of, Threat, uh, threat, and it actually uh, captured the attention of so many people. The constitution now had to be used in this case, and we got to realize that our constitution has loopholes and spaces where you can you can you can actually defend uh, any form of religion. 
uh, one, one thing we need to understand is a constitution can defend you or it can tie you up. Good thing for Makeda, she had great lawyers. And good thing for Makeda that the CS was someone who understood this kind of thing. So I believe uh, there's a lady who spoke uh, before me, I didn't capture her name. Yeah, she talked about how women in general have been put in positions whereby they have to be subjected to words written by men. And, and for lack of a better word, I don't think that most of the women, or when constitutions are being written, women were also included. Because if they were included, then we'd know that hair is just hair. Yeah, I and mean, and that's, Kenya, a, that's an important point, because they were not, even if they were there, they were not included enough. I mean, but so, so in the yeah. end, did the Supreme Court rule on this? Yes, they gave a rule on this, and uh, Makeda was allowed to go back to school. Trust you, me, even the CS escorted her and made sure that she is in class. So this complaint. So I mean, so they get uh, the question. So nobody died. <laughs> nobody died after the Supreme Court had ruled. He sat in class. Listen, Kenya is going on. Listen. So what's the fuss all about? Go on, go on. Listen, it's hair. Ghana, it's hair. <laughs> Two, Just. it's someone's belief system. Ghana, listen, it's hair and it's someone's belief system. Now I think that lady who was talking about hair should come to Kenya and actually just push in or shove in some ideas about how Kenyan ladies uh, in schools especially are not allowed to, to have their natural hair. You have to shave, especially in schools in the western part of Kenya, where you are forced to shave as a form of discipline. And once you use the word system, it means you're ascribing to the rules, to the culture, and also to, uh, some, to the pettiness, for lack of a better word, to the pettiness of, of, of everything that comes with the school rules, and uh, that system that we call the education system, because I believe that education should be more of an exchange and not more of a discipline. Listen, uh, Brian, you yeah. just hit the nail on the head about Ghana, it's, it's hair. I, I want to begin yeah. to wrap up now uh, with a question to Luanga. So, Luanga, so the education minister says there's a solution in the orphan, which is that there's going to be a policy. If you have to, if you're, if you're consulted, right, and you are doing PhD at the UC of African Studies, if you're consulted, what, what, what do you want to see in that policy when it finally comes out? What should it look like, briefly? It's difficult to answer you very briefly, but let me just say this. The point is that you have to go back to understand yourself. So this whole issue just goes back to the points I was making earlier on. How come, um, how, how, how did the Rasta come to find himself or herself in Ghana to be persecuted on the basis of their hair. It is because they came here because they came to find their home, their identity. And this goes back to how Rastafarianism or Rastafari even came about, which is a discussion that we can have for a different time. But then the issue is that these Rastas are coming here because they know Africa is their homeland. And then they are living as closely as possible according to their knowledge given to them at the time that the whole idea was birthed, to live as closely as possible to Africa and what the ancestors, you know, uh, of Africa. Let, 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 help me out here with that question because I think it's key. I want to wrap up on that. What do you want to see in that, in that final document if, if indeed it's, it's, it's crafted? It's, it's very difficult to say because it's not a hem issue. It is an identity issue. I mean, broadly. I mean, because identity, diversity, etc. Uh, Eugenia, briefly, what do you want to see in that document? What I, what I, what I would want to see is 
in public schools taking out education uh, sorry taking out religion taking our religion out of our public schools i stand corrected most of our public schools our public secondary schools are funded by the government they're not funded funded by their wesleyan or catholic churches as much even if they are so if it's being funded by taxpayers can we take religion out of school can we leave that to uh, uh, parents and churches to take care of that that then leaves us to why we go to school we go to school to learn that might be a starting point it's a good point um what do you want to see based on your experience let's draw from your experience i want to see tolerance i want to see the exhibition of choice when we go for assemblies they shouldn't force people to you know do what there's a uh, religious dominance there's a particular religion that's dominating in ghana i mean the christian really just say it i mean we so all know it for i mean some time now when we go for assemblies, when we go for meetings, we have to, you know, observe. conform. Thank you. I think we should take it beyond the context of education and make sure that we give people the chance to have a choice. We should give people the chance to decide not to be a part of a particular religion and it should be okay. And even after the kids are done with school, with the university, even in the workspaces, they should be given a chance to have their hijab on. If it's the banking sector, if it's the government's um, institutions, if it's private institutions, let them have their identity because it is not really mutually exclusive from the individual. I cannot take my hijab away from who I really am. It's part of me. So if I'm done with school and I want to be employed, people should accept me because I'm going That's there it. to work and not because of how I look or what religion I actually ascribe to. Nana, I know you have, Nana Kofi Akwa, I know you have uh, children in school. I mean, now the education minister says there's a policy coming up. Um, uh, you've given us a fantastic education on how this dreadlocks came about. Very, very good education. How do you begin to change what the conversation that we've had this week? Can the policy help and what should it look like? If you can put it up for me briefly. I think that uh, the policy, the you can't make good policy if you don't know the history. The policy needs, needs, to, uh, needs to consider our history as black people. Why did the French call our hair cheveux crepus? Why is there a natural hair movement? Why did James, uh, uh, James Brown make a song, I'm black and proud? Why? There's, there's been a lot and a lot, there's a lot of history with our hair. There's a lot of history with our skin. There's a lot of history. These are the reasons why we are impoverished. This is, these are the reasons why we are looked down upon everywhere we go in the world. And the fundamental question to the education system is they, they should ask themselves, how do we raise young African children to become confident leaders of the future? Confident, capable, empowered leaders. How do we design our educational system to give our children a lion's share of the future. And in the process of trying to answer that question, we would note that the road system of passing down to them what the British taught us, what we, we would know, we would quickly know that we have to throw all that garbage out. Uh, this violent, uh, uh, the violent Christianization or the violent Islamization of nations has to stop. It was somebody's political agenda when they came to colonize us to spread their religion violently. They set up schools in the slave castles 
And that is where they began. The first school uh, established by the British in Ghana was in the Elmina Castle. No, we need to understand these things. We need to understand, and we have to ask ourselves. I want, I have three children. I want them to be confident leaders of the future, of their future, I, because the world is shrinking. And this whole pettiness that we hold dear in the country that is drowning in corruption, mm. you know, we, it is about to start raining. It is going to be flooding in Accra. People will be dying. There are important conversations to have that we are not having. But our leadership is busy uh, uh, persecuting little children because of her. You know, it's like your house is on fire and you're busy looking for your toothpick. (laughs) It doesn't make sense. It really doesn't make sense. And I hope that we will understand that, that there are systems that were set in, in place to impede our progress. And fundamental to that system was was the fundamental to that system was to dilute the quality of education we can have to raise us to be servants, not leaders. Yeah, I mean, we have to we have to change that so the average adult Ghanaian is not confident. Yeah, I mean, so they will talk you about social media and all that, but they are not confident when you meet them in person, even when they are capable, (laughs) and then they start scratching their head. We are not confident. Why are we not confident? Because somebody designed a system that tells us we are not good enough. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think the, the point that you've made, and I think Eugenia has made it, they have to go back to the basics. And I, I mean, and, and we need to see this consultation that has happened. What are other people saying on social media as we wrap up? On social media, coming up on our WhatsApp platform, the theory of the human brain being tabula rasa is really at play here. The African child's brain has been Europeanized, so they don't appreciate many things which are local. We would hardly progress if this trend persists. Let's know our roots as a people. The policy consultation and formulation being undertaken by the education ministry is going to be nothing short of an epic battle between the progressives and the dinosaurs in this country with the quest for quality and all-inclusive education system prevail or otherwise while well, it waits to be seen. Everyone's a lot of the messages which we can't read. Yeah, I mean, thank you very much. Uh, Eugenia, thank you very much. Uh, we wait to see how this policy turns out but uh, Luanga, thank you also. Uh, look for as well. Uh, of course, uh, Ebo, uh, who joined us earlier, and my our friend from Kenya, who who had some uh, real tough words for us Ghanaians as they've been through that that whole conversation uh, before. Ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the rest of the evening. Thank you.
Hello, this is Morris, and I say keep on listening to Joy 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 ese rugido sientes la experiencia de poder la emoción de la libertad ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura nueva Ram 1500 hecha para vivir Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC This Morris and I say keep on listening to Joy 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 Hello, I'm Lee James, host of Sports World on the BBC World Service. For the best of previews to the sporting weekend, listen to George Addo Jr. on The Locker Room on Joy 99.7 FM. Live on radio, live online, this is The Locker Room on Joy 99.7 FM with George Addo Jr. And a great good evening to you wherever you find yourself. Hello and welcome to The Locker Room on Joy 99.7 FM. Uh, it's rather unusual what we're going to do tonight. We're going to have a big discussion here. We've got the boys joining me in studio. We've got two topics to deal with. We'll talk about Kumasi Asan Sekotoko as they welcome their new technical team, Mariana Barreto. The former Black Stars coach is now in charge. He came along with... Um, you know, members of his new technical team. We'll be looking at that particular one. But of course, I know loads of you have been discussing the Black Stars. And after we saw that one, remember those live commentary here, of course, uh, it was 1-1 between the Black Stars and Bafana Bafana of South Africa. The Black Stars have qualified for the Africa Cup of Nations 2021 that will take place in 2022 in Cameroon. Uh, most of you have still been talking about whether the Black Stars are, you know, in safe hands, whether the coach can get the job done, whether the Black Stars can, you know, win the Africa Cup of Nations again. So we'll have a little chat on that one here on our show. And then we'll get into the Kumasi Asan Tekotoko issues as we go through. Remember, we will be activating our phone lines at the top of the hour, just before it. That's at 7.50. You have the chance to call into the show, but now you have a chance to send us your text messages. So we're asking you the question, do you think the Black Stars uh, is in safe hands? That's the question for you. Do you think the Black Stars is in safe hands with all we've seen? And I have to tell you as well, uh, the local Black Stars, I rather call them the Black Stars B, uh, play today in Tashkent. They lost to Uzbekistan by two goals to one. The only goal for the Black Stars B was caught by 
Fatal Isahaku, wonderful free kick. Yes, not too sure what the goalkeeper was thinking about, but it doesn't take anything away from the young man who is continuing to do well. And we are looking forward to the game then on Sunday when the Black Stars come up against Sao Tome and Principe. That will be an interesting one, especially when we want to think about what Siki uh, is going to be doing with the squad and who is going to be playing and all of that. We'll be telling you about the qualifiers because teams are still qualified from the Africa Cup of Nations and uh, by Monday I think Monday or Tuesday we'll have a, a complete idea of what's happening Gary Smith joining me quickly you'll give me an idea of those who are just jumping in I know Ivory Coast and uh, you know well yes Gary's here Gary how you doing this evening doing well yes Gary's fine Muftal Nabila Abdullah how you doing I'm good. Did you say I was, what, two hours away from your, your hometown? <laughs> yeah, you were, you, were, you were just two hours from my village. <laughs> two hours away from my village. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Something I noticed uh, about Muftao. Yeah, was it? <laughs> he never describes do as his hometown. He always calls it a village. A village, yeah. It is, is it? it <laughs> no, is there a difference? I mean, I know everybody says, oh, it's my hometown. No. <laughs> you never say hometown. There is. It is my village. That's where I'm from. We no, don't know. You don't get it. Okay, the description. You never say hometown. I prefer village to this hometown <laughs> thing. That's what I'm saying. You know, people say, oh, I'm going to my yeah, hometown. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, interesting. <laughs> I'm going to my hometown, but I prefer village. Well, well, <laughs> well we're going to have a good discussion. We're going to both be joining us and we're going to be telling you. And, and you know, sometimes when there are huge topics like these, I think... It's fair for you to get an idea of what the Choice Sports team is thinking. Yes, we came up with our ratings, our super ratings, because we've got um, great examiners here. They've, they've had a lot of uh, training from Mike and all. Los mejores viajes nacen en la carretera. Pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC.